0: Chef David Chang and the members of the Recipe Club sift through millions of search results to find the very best way to make the food you want to eat. Each week, they cook three recipes for the same dish, debate them, and ultimately declare the winning recipe. Check out Recipe Club on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube.
1: Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with $25,000 Tons of other multi care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life, with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and thank you for listening to Black on the air, that is what you're listening to. Today's guest is Willie Geist of Sunday Today. Sunday Today with Willie Geist. Uh, Willie's an opal. Um, they're celebrating their fifth anniversary. I talked to him a couple of days ago. <laughs> I kept, I said fourth anniversary a couple of times, but it is the fifth, fifth anniversary of Sunday Today. Um, he's doing a good job over there, uh, and it was good catching up with him about his show and some of the things that have been going on in the news, Uh, man, there's so much going on, you guys. Uh, These shootings this week, it's really overwhelming. It's just devastating. And there's so many different types of things going on. Um, I mean, we're in the middle of this Derek Chauvin uh, trial, which uh, I think they wrap it up on Monday. And who knows what's going to happen in that? By the way, I think anything could happen. I think there's an equal chance he could be exonerated you know, and an equal chance, maybe he'll go to jail. You know, I've just seen way too many of these things, you know, to think that any real justice is going to happen, you know? Um, but we'll see. This is one of those, uh, unusual cases where you actually had a lot of police who were testifying against him, which is very bizarre, you know? And these, case, these cases have been really tough. I've covered these cases before on my old show, The Nightly Show, even on my Peacock show, I've talked about it. You know, this relationship that blacks have had with the police, this fraught relationship that's covered many years, decades, goes back to the whole, you know, slave patrols and all of these things, you know. It's taken on many different forms. But as a, as a group, Blacks have been dealing with this in a way that other groups just have not. And that's why, you know, the anger that you see in a lot of these communities is just, it's so raw. You know, it's like this accumulation of something that's been built up over years and years and generations. And, you know, people hear stories about it and, you know, it just seems to not matter even on a class issue. You know, so it's happened to so many different types of people in different situations. But let's not fool ourselves, too. In the poorer communities, there is definitely a um, kind of reliance on the people in that community to fill the coffers of some of these police stations with a lot of the nickel and diming of pulling people over for, like, things like air fresheners, you know, and giving people tickets for these things, tickets that turn into... Warrants and that type of thing, and tripling in costs. And people uh, get into so much debt just with tickets sometimes and tickets over some niggling shit. <laughs> you know, that's right. I said niggling over some niggling shit. And then when you get pulled over for these things, and oh, uh, my, uh, that Dante uh, Wright situation, I think there's the kid's name. I mean, pulled over for, I don't know, what did they say, expired registration? <clears throat> and apparently at the air freshener, and then it turns into him being dead. That is just wrong. I mean, there is so much wrong about that situation. My heart just fell when I saw that. And, you know, it's, it is easy to say, and, you know, I feel this way too, you know, if you're running in a situation like that, you're going to put yourself at more risk. Of course that's true, but still, the risk shouldn't be death. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be your shot to death. There's got to be other ways to deal with that. And um, just the way that unfolded, that was some fucked up shit, man. That was that was so heartbreaking. But, you know, it's this Derek Chauvin trial, you know. Having this in front of the country like this in front of the world kind of highlights this thing that's been going on for a while and, and taking on different types of. Forms, you know, there's the form where the person yes runs away. There's a form where the person maybe is a little more guilt or something. There's a form where the person does absolutely nothing. There's a form where the person is asleep in their house. You know, the police bust in. There's so many different forms of how this has happened, and that's what's frustrating to so many people. They feel like, well, you say we should comply, which is true. People should comply, but even when we comply, you know, bad things happen. So I understand why. Why um. People are so frustrated, but there's got to be some solutions. Hopefully, there's got to be some solutions in here. I don't think it's going to stop completely, but maybe can reduce some of these just ridiculous things. I know I don't have a lot of words because I'm just I'm just devastated this week. And then you have the other shootings. You know this thing in Indianapolis where at the FedEx uh, place where people are working, this gunman comes in and. What did he shoot, six people or something like that, and then shot himself? How many times do we have to see this type of thing? This is like the third mass shooting in Indianapolis this year. This year. Like, what the fuck, America? Honestly. And apparently, this guy who did it, uh, his mom was worried about him, and had called the cops or the FBI or something, and I guess they talked to him. How does he still get a fucking gun after that? How does he still... Get the ability to do what he did, especially once the mom knew that he was a threat to himself as well as to others. These are the questions that are the really important questions. People talk about gun control and all this type of thing, all these types of things. We really have to examine how this type of thing can happen. Honestly, it's crazy I mean, I agree. You can't stop everybody from doing bad things. You, you can't. You know, even with outside of banning guns completely and getting them out of the hands of everybody, which it's not going to happen. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. And I'm not advocating for it either. There's something in this water, man. There's something in this culture, in this American culture, where <sighs> guns are like cell phones. And that's how people are communicating <laughs> with each other, through guns and death. It's just terrible. When you look at the statistics of the mass shootings that have happened in the past 10 years, it's breathtaking. It takes your fucking breath away. I mean, we, it is an honest, what the fuck is going on? You know, and it's not just mental health. You know, there, people have mental health everywhere. Mental health is not a special problem the United States has. But when there's mental health and you have access to a high-powered weapon, that's a problem. It seems like there are these three types of shootings that are a particular problem here, and one of them may be a problem elsewhere, too. We have the police shootings, which we talked about, and these gunman shootings, these mass shootings, where people take it upon themselves to just unleash their frustrations and everybody. And then the third type which nobody's really talking about, which still was bad during the pandemic and has been bad, the highest form of death by guns is suicide. I mean, think think about that. This is the one that doesn't get a lot of coverage of how many people are just killing themselves with guns. (sighs) I'm just, I sound exasperated because um, I don't have anything clever to say about this. I don't have anything enlightening to say. I'm just, um, uh, you know, people are really upset in, is it in Chicago where the 13-year-old kid, Adam Toledo, I believe was his name, looks like he was not in the right place, not doing the right things. But when he turned around and put his hands up, and just to be shot down like that, that, that was tough too. If you watch that video, oh man, that is that is really really bad. There's a lot to unpack in that one, and I'm not going to do it right now. But let's just say all these things have a cumulative effect on people. They're not just one incident. It's the cumulative effect that it has, and so it's tough when you're, you know, describing them as individual events and trying to, you know, parse out why this one isn't as bad as that, or whatever. It doesn't matter. To most people, especially people that are living in these areas, it all feels the same. And it, it's just sad. A 13-year-old kid out there doing what he's doing and then his life being taken like that. All of all of that situation is just tragic to me. All of it. So anyhow. <sighs> Let's hope somehow we can get better in this area. I don't know. I'm open to answers here. I know a lot of people on the left talk about gun control. I'm for, of course, a lot of that. I I have stated before that I I am skeptical that those measures actually stop these things. You know, I think some of it works to a certain extent. I'm not going to deny that, but I'm still skeptical about it, you know, because the evidence shows that people— find a way to be, to do these things. So I that's why I'm saying. There's something in the culture itself that goes beyond, you know, this that needs to be addressed. And I don't know how we do that. But I think we got to examine who we are <laughs> as people, man. We got to examine that, chip. We got to take the flashlight and take a hard look at ourselves. Why it's so easy for us to take people's lives and to take their own lives and using these weapons as a means to do it. Why is why is that happening so much here? Anyhow. Whew. So there's a lot of other things going on. Like I said, this has been a tough week. I do want to talk about that voting rights uh, situation that's going on. I'll touch on a little bit right now, but here's what I want to put in your mind. This is going to be contrary, so get ready, because as you know, I got to think for myself. I can't go by what other people are saying. I don't like people calling the Georgia bill and even the Texas bill worse than Jim Crow because it's not stop it, give me your hand, slap, slap, slap. It is not. There needs to be a distinction between cynical legislation that is partisan design and designed to help one party. As opposed to legislation or measures designed to injure a particular group of people based on their race. I don't believe the Georgia legislation is old South type of legislation that just doesn't like Black people voting. No, no, no. We are in a different era, you guys, and we have to make this distinction. And I wanna make this distinction because. To me, the clarity is important when you're fighting the fight. These types of rules are because Democrats won, not because black people won something or black people did anything. It's because Democrats kicked some butt this past year and Republicans did not like that shit. They thought their boy was going to be president and all these things because of the pandemic. You know, many more Democrats, especially poor people in some of these areas were able to mail in votes, they were able to vote easier, there was easier access to dropping off votes, all these things. The curtailing of this is an effort to keep power by Republicans, not to keep black people from voting. Now, let me tell you something, and the reason why I'm saying this is because the way that we fight this can't be, if it's based on race, and the racial part of it is disproven, your fight is over, motherfucker. It's over. Over and done. Now what are you going to fight about? Because if if that's not true, then what do you got? That may be part, part of the truth, but it's not what the thing is directed at. And that's what it, it gets me, because I feel you have to fight these fights properly. And I don't like it when something as serious as Jim Crow treatment and legislation Is marginalized by something that is not. That's the thing that I don't like. Because you can talk to anybody who came up during those times. And if you said, Is asking for someone's identification the same as giving, asking them how many jelly beans are in that jar? And saying, No, stupid nigga, that's not how many jelly beans. Is it the same thing? And, or, or is it worse? They would say, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you crazy? No, that's not worse. I would have been happy to show my identification. Are you kidding me? Who knows how many fucking jobs to did in charge? That was wrong and improper. They didn't want black people to vote. Now they're just making it hard for anybody voting Democrat to vote, which ironically could end up hurting Republicans, interestingly enough. Because in a normal election, absentee ballots, which most of these rules are made up about, like especially the ID room, traditionally skew Republican in normal elections, which is ironic. It was during the pandemic that I think more Democrats didn't want to go to the polling places because of the pandemic, (laughs) because, you know, they didn't want to get COVID and all the Trumpies didn't care, right? But in a normal election, some of this stuff might screw more Republicans than Democrats, you know. But let me go even further than that. If we think that asking for identification on absentee ballots, and I'm pointing out that part of the bill, and I know there are other parts of it, but I'm just looking at that specifically because that was used as an example of racism. I'm saying it's not racism. This is partisanship. But let's say that this is a problem and it affects people in these areas. By the way, it would affect people without money, not people for a particular race. There's nothing about my blackness that prevents me from getting an identification. Okay? Nothing has nothing to do with it. If I don't have any money, there's something about my financial situation (laughs) that might prevent me from having the funds to go get an identification or that sort of thing. But if that's the case, if we have a huge problem with people in poor areas, especially black people, people of color with identification, let's get these people documented. Let's fight the fight completely. Yes. Fight the fight at the level at the state house and arguing over this and that, but fight it in the other way. We've always had drives where we've tried to get people uh registered to vote. Because we know a lot of people don't take the time to register to vote for whatever reasons. People are busy. They're working. You know, they forget about these things. They think about voting at the last minute because it's not top high on the priority list. Putting food on the table might be higher on the priority list. <laughs> Rightly so. You know, not everybody's an activist out there trying to vote. If that is the case, and we know there is a problem with people in certain areas that need to be documented properly, whether it's a, a uh, government identification, whether it's a driver's license, whether it's a bill that has their name on it, whatever it is, what, we need to make more of an effort to uh, fortify our ability to participate in the process as much as possible. Yes, we should still fight the other things. Yes, we should still call bullshit out when it's there. And we should call a spade a spade. If something is racist, we should call that. But just because something is partisan doesn't mean that it's racist and that it's the worst example of racism because it's not. It is not the worst example of racism. Sorry, Joe Biden. This is not worse than the Jim Crow legislation. I I take offense to of that. You just don't. You are minimizing what the actual Jim Crow shit was back in the day. This is not it, you know. Yes, it is cynical. Yes, it was uh, brought about for false reasons, uh, saying that the, uh, you know, whatever the Republicans lied about, about the last election, all those are false reasons. Yes, I agree with all that. Both things are true at the same time. Cynical legislation aimed at disadvantaged people aimed at them because they primarily vote democratic. And this is a partisan attempt to tamp down those votes. All right. That's what it is. I just want to be clear about this. And the reason why I'm clear about, I want to be as clear as possible is because that helps how we fight these things, (laughs) you know, how we get them out of the way. Um, And having clarity over what I feel is actual racism and what just feels like it? Ooh, that feels like racism. And you know what? <laughs> usually, if something feels like it, I admit it. Usually is. I do admit that you are not wrong about that. But as I like to say, I you know me, I'm a lover of clarity, especially words, especially meanings, and that type of thing. Keep our eyes on the prize. You know there are many ways to fight this, um, but calling it the uh, the worst racism. Uh, worse than Jim Crow is not it. Sorry. That's just me. All right. That's it. We got Willie guys coming up. Talk about Sunday today. And that's it. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, such a joy to have this gentleman on. Um, he was kind enough to have me on Morning Joe years ago when I was wrote my book. And I was already a fan of his. Uh, He's one of the co-hosts of Morning Joe, but he's also the host of Sunday Today with Willie Geis, which is celebrating, I believe, his fourth anniversary. Welcome to Black in the Air, Willie Geis.
0: Thanks, Larry. It's great to see you. I can't wait to see you in person. We do these sort of like... I know. existence we're all living in right now. It's getting old fast. It is. You know,
1: I really love... Interviewing people live, and I know you do too, that there's something there's different, something different about that dynamic, don't you think? Of having them right there. Well,
0: for me, too, it's like you know, when you get in a room with somebody before you even start, you find some common ground, you know, oh, Oh, you know him too, oh, yeah, he says all those things that sort of make the interview smoother and easier. It's hard. The one thing I will say that I've noticed now doing this over a year is that when people are home, they are more comfortable just by definition. So they'll, you know, they'll just relax and their kids are screaming in the other room and that's okay. The dog runs in and they're just I find the guard is down. So on that side of it, it's nice. But I would much prefer, like you say, to be in person.
1: And congrats uh, on your anniversary. That's fantastic.
0: Thanks. Yeah, it's been it's five a- years, believe it or not. It oh, it's 2000- been five. Is that yeah, five yeah. It's right. Uh, 2016, right? Um, which feels like a lifetime ago. If you I can't count since back. the pandemic,
1: by the way. So <laughs> no ability. We're to all count. in the fog. Yeah. <laughs> <in the> <laughs>
0: <fall. laughs> even if we haven't had it, we're in the COVID yes, fog. Yes, yes. But if you think about April 2016, Donald Trump wasn't even officially the nominee yet. Just think how much has happened in the five years and how different the country is. Frankly. In the five years since uh we came on the air. So yeah, it's pretty cool to stop and, and I was stop. still doing
1: the nightly show. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, were, we were different then. We were all Yes, different. we were all different. <laughs> I you know, think about that world. I mean Donald Trump at that time was still being mocked as the possible—I mean, he had won some—he probably won some— He was on his way. Yeah, but he was still kind of being mocked as that, right? By by people in his own party, I mean. Yeah, for sure. I
0: mean, he was mocked when he got in the race— yeah, and by the way, we took you know because you watched, we took a lot of crap for taking him somewhat seriously and saying, absolutely, I don't know, guys, this guy could be the nominee. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. you guys, you're in the bag form. Like no, we're just saying, <laughs> yes. we understand the country a little bit. So yeah, before that, then he rockets to the top of the poll in that fall of 2015. First, he insults John McCain and gets That's away with terrible. it. And numbers go up. That was honestly the first time. When he did that, which you don't do, especially in the Republican Party. Correct. And his support went up, I went, Oh, there's something
1: different going I on. I did the here. same thing, same reaction.
0: You know, and then that summer he'd be in Mobile, Alabama, and it was still kind of a joke in some ways. And then you go, Oh, there are 40,000 people there. And he'd fly in on his private plane and dip his wings over the stadium, and they'd go crazy and then he'd land and come in, and it was a show. And that's what it's sort of. For me, anyway, it began to dawn on me that this could could be real. But yeah, in 2016, if you weren't, Republicans still mocking him as a nominee, but certainly not mocking the idea that he could beat Hillary Clinton, too. So it uh-huh. wasn't until he won, I guess, that a lot of people took him seriously.
1: Yeah, the world was so different back then. It's real interesting. When you, when you started your show, did you? What what were you thinking when you started Sunday Today? Was there a goal? Was there something you were setting out to do? Were you trying to rebrand what they were doing on Sunday and anything? Or was it a personal thing? Or what was going yeah, on was, there?
0: What it was, was they, I was doing Morning Joe, and I was hosting the 9 o'clock hour of the Today Show. And then they said, would you also like to do a, the weekends? Because they were kind of revamping the weekends. And I said, okay, not both days, because I'm already working five days a week. I'll do Sunday if... You know, if I'm going to just throw my weekends out the window, if I can kind of take a blank slate and work with the Today Show brand and that big audience and kind of make their own thing. And to their credit, as you know, having been in show business a long time, yeah. they can say it and not mean it. Yeah. But they actually meant it, which was kind of shocking. So they let me go through some trial and error. And
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah. At first, I sort of had in my head this idea that it would be a combination of my two lives, a little bit of Morning Joe, a little bit of the Today Show. So we came out of the gate. And you had you had been doing way too early a little way before too early. that too, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. You're going back, man. That's
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I remember that. I used to watch that because I'd be up early watching stuff. You know, the few, the proud,
0: the way too early few. Yes, that's proud. right. That's right.
1: That's a good show. though. I remember that. Come on, man. I remember you on Scarborough Country. That's how far oh back I go. Oh my gosh. Right. Well, that's how. Yeah. I mean,
0: I was the producer then, and I started doing little bits for him. And then when the morning show came up. That he was doing. So I remember that guy. And he wanted to join the show, and that changed everything for me. But um, I thought for the Sunday show, what if we made a little Morning Joe, a little Today Show? Sure. And I pushed the Morning Joe out of the gate, and so we would just open the show. Good morning. Here's a roundtable of people talking in shorthand about politics. And I realized and the audience let us know, like. Slow down a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the Marine Go audience. I don't live and breathe this. I actually have a life outside of here. So help me understand what you're talking about and then talk about it. So we went back after a few months to a little bit more of a conventional Today Show at the top where you wake up in the morning on a Sunday, what's going on in the world, what do I need to know today, and then turn the corner to the magazine show that we had in place.
1: Yeah, and it is kind of a It's kind of a nice. We get to see different parts of Willie Geist, you know, the – Morning Joe. I've always liked your demeanor in that. You, I mean, sometimes you're comic relief. Sometimes you're just like playing it in the middle, not taking a side or something. You're being the diplomat, you know, and sometimes you come in there with that good insights thing. Whereas on Sunday today, I feel like you're more, I don't know, you're you're kind of the guy inviting us in to sit with him in his home, maybe type of guy, you know, I feel like it's a different Willie we're seeing there. Does that I make think sense? That's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think
0: too with Sunday, there's no rush. People are right, not, right. They're yeah. not getting to work, they're not getting their kids off to school, which is different from the weekday today show too, where you've got a bang, 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 let everybody know what's going on. we sort of slowed down the pace and we, you know, people sit there with their yellow Sunday today mug and their slippers and they, have the paper at their feet or their dog at their whatever and they sit and they're willing to spend the time so we can do deeper dives and to me it's like you saw in your life all this stuff flying across your phone all week on Twitter or Facebook or whatever what's the infrastructure bill I'm too busy I got work I got kids we can go, OK, here's our Sunday focus like it was last week. Here's what a vaccine passport is. Here's why there's a debate about it. Here's what you need to know about it. And a little bit of a debrief with the reporter that kind of gives you the notes version, does the work so you don't have to on some of these issues that are out there in the atmosphere, require a little more explanation and, and time than you might have had all week. And so we're able to take the time and do that. And then. With our celebrity interviews, not always a celebrity, sometimes a business leader or a politician, but with our big profile interview, I can do eight or nine minutes where if that's during the week on a today show, it's, you know, you're cranking that out three, four minutes so we can take more time with it. So I love it because it's more space and time to let stories breathe. I get to write the show when it's a once a week show instead of a daily show you really sort of take care and, and with every word you write and every piece you cut and um, every word you utter, honestly, you get it right. You start working it on Wednesday and you fine tune it on Thursday and then you change something on Friday. And then even up to Sunday morning, you're sort of rewriting and shaping it. So I love being able to mold something over the course of the week, rather than the daily grind. All right. That one's over. Let's look to the next one, which you know very well.
1: And at the same time, not having to compete with meet the press or, right. Or the traditional Today Show finding that sweet spot,
0: right? Exactly, right. So we're not. So Meet the Press comes on after us. We talked oh, to right. Chuck Todd a little bit at the top of the show to tease ahead to what's coming up. But that <laughs> so, Chuck, I, I already covered that. Chuck, you you don't got to cover that. <laughs> Ask an Chuck. Ask an answer. Yeah. So we like we let him. He you know he'll do the big political guest, and that's what Meet the Press is. So we get to uh-huh. do. Some, different so i love it it's a great balance morning joe and sunday today like you say they're very different but it gives good professional balance anyway
1: i do have to say though i i had imagined years ago you know willie was on that today show kind of track did you see that for yourself during that time was was there a moment when you thought oh maybe that's the track that i am because sometimes you never know those things can happen in an instant you know as you know in your business you know and can change your life completely right
0: yeah, for sure. I think um, definitely. I was, you know, I was the fill-in over there for many years. So if a host was off, a main host, I would go over it and do it, and always loved it. I think I was maybe it's because my dad was in, in in TV that I was smart enough to know not to take something for granted or expect it, or to sit around and wait for it. Maybe is a better way to put it. Because as you say, who the hell knows what's going to happen, and the circumstances will change tomorrow than what they are today. So for me, it shook out perfectly. Because now I, got, I get to keep Morning Joe, which I love. And I've been on the front lines of the last five years, of the Trump years and now this year of coronavirus. And then also have my own thing on Sunday, which I'm not, I don't owe anything to an old format. I, I can kind of create it, do what I want. It. So this is, so yeah, that was definitely on the radar for years, just by virtue of my being over there all the time. But then as it's settled out, sometimes things happen in a way you don't expect that ends up being better, perhaps, than the alternative.
1: Yeah, you kind of get the best of both worlds of what you yeah. actually enjoy doing, I would think. Exactly.
0: Yeah. exactly.
1: What type do you enjoy interviewing the most? Because like, I personally find, nothing against actors, I find them sometimes the most difficult to interview sometimes. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say difficult, I'll say frustrating. And for some of the same connected reasons, politicians can be very frustrating. That is there a type that you find easier or tougher in terms of a type to interview as opposed to personality?
0: Yeah, I mean politicians are hard for all the obvious reasons. Which all the sound bites that they oh, you got to get through all that crap. Yeah, and the thing is, as you know, politicians just—they're either born loving the sound of their own voice, or that's an acquired thing that they get. Yeah. And so, if you don't stop them, you could ask one question in a thirty-minute interview, and they'll go and they'll go. <laughs> yes, that's true.
1: So, you <laughs> that's get people true. People I like <laughs> and respect, I'm like. Yes.
0: Shit. Oh, I, know, so I know, I know. It's so true <laughs> because I feel like the words begin to lose power. It just because oh, god, some talking points. You, go, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. So we actually on Sunday don't do many politicians, partly for that reason. You know, it's I, I would say rare is the politician whose personal story is so compelling that we're the whole. I mean, they're always interested to talk about news of the day, but someone whose life story is that interesting or that hasn't been told a hundred times and people kind of, t- no. Um, I think, yeah, I, for me, I like the people are most interested are the people who don't do a lot of interviews, you know? Oh, okay. And what's good is when you do one show a week, we can kind of cherry pick. If you have to do five shows a week, it's That's like, right. all right, I guess we'll do that guy. Yeah. I kind of like, I mean, it's fine. And then you get through the interview. Oh, yeah. God, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and you're kind of stuck in the, I mean, publicists do a great job for their clients and everything, but there's usually a narrow band of what they want you to ask because you only have like three minutes to spend That's with them. It.
0: That's right, the challenge of it. So I think I'm lucky because it's once a week, so we can go down a list and say, "Oh, that person's a huge star, but th- is there anything else I'm interested to know about right. him or her?" Exactly. And the Answer sometimes is no, and they're like, "Wow, you said no to him." I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to ask that guy. But so the people like. You know, what big moment for our Sunday show is when Bill Murray did the show. Uh, it's ago. great. That was awesome. a, our two year. Yeah. And you as you probably know, working in the business, he has this answering machine that you call. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's a one-eight hundred number. And if you <laughs> want to be on, you leave a message. Yes, exactly. They either calls you back or he doesn't. I think Whoopi has something like that, you know. Oh, I believe that.
1: Yeah. There's something like that.
0: He doesn't have a manager or a publicist. Nope. He's just out, you know, crashing people's weddings or whatever. Playing golf. Yeah. Playing golf. And so bartending. He, yeah. He, exactly. <laughs> bartender. He actually didn't call us back. but Then he came into the Today Show one morning to do a live interview with Hoder at Savannah and said to our brokers, Hey, uh, I want to do that Willie Geist show. I got the message. Let's just do it right after this. And they were like, Wait, what? Hold on we got to get the crew and set it up and do it. He's like, all right, I'm here tomorrow. I have him come by the hotel at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So he was staying here in New York, went to his hotel, set up. There was a bar on the roof. Luckily enough, we set up cameras and at 10 o'clock in the morning, elevator doors open and there's Bill Murray hair messed up. <laughs> zip up golf vest. Green of course. Cars, old New Balance running shoes. Yes. And he just sat down and started talking and he shook everybody's hand. He was great. Everybody loved him. But that was a big moment that he would say yes to the show because it validated for other people who think, Oh, that's just another show. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's guy sees it. He's like, Hmm, I saw that Bill Murray. Interview. It was good. Would you have Jerry on? Yeah, I think we could find room for Jerry. And then that Ben Letterman comes on, you know? And so and though, to me, the people who who don't, you don't see all over the place. I the, love that. That's the, those are the best for me.
1: Now, how do you Willie? Really, how do you, like, or I should say this specifically, how did you prepare for a Bill Murray interview? Like, I mean, because where do you even start? Or as you say, were you just fortunate that he just started, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, what's interesting about somebody like that is on some level, you feel like you've been preparing your whole life because- you've seen all the movies, you know, most of what, you know, his backstory for the most part. And then you just read like crazy, you research like crazy. And I try to, I try to make, I try to strip away what's artificial about TV interviews. We can't lose the camera and the lights, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's not a real podcast interview like you do. But if you don't come with the sort of Stiff. here are the papers with all my questions and let's begin the interview. If you just sort of start talking and get a conversation, I think with him, it was, he's a fan of the university of Illinois basketball and my parents went there. So I know everything there is to know about it. So we started talking about the 89 team, would they beat the 2005 team? So that broke the ice. And then you just, you just start talking, so you do tons of research. But in I think point,
1: Deron Williams went to was Very good, Larry. He was there a one
0: part of the 05. He was, yeah. It was, it was him and D Brown in the backcourt. Yeah, they lost in the national title game. Yeah, that was won. a good team. A great team. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, your life of being a fan is preparation in a case like that. But also I try to read like crazy and then just have sort of an outline in my head of where it might go. And sometimes it goes a different place, but just be yeah. ready for wherever it goes.
1: Yeah. I love that. Do you uh, personally, I love talking about interviewing too. You don't get a chance to talk about that much. Yeah. and I, I've always loved your style too, but do you, do you, do you prepare differently for different types or do you have one particular type of preparation? Cause obviously researching some, uh, you know, the person is the way to go, but yeah. is there any different type of preparation you do for a different type? I think, you know,
0: talkers and then people who are a little more reserved. Oh yeah. yeah. And I think you've got to be ready when Person is reserved. You've got to be doubly yeah, prepared. I know you might get one of those. Like, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I
1: know you need like a thousand questions.
0: <laughs> what you're really doing is setting them up for a story that you know they have. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're just going, yeah, yeah. We had a good time on that movie. That was a, that was a blast. Then it's like, okay, you've got to. So now all of a sudden you're leaning in a little farther, and you know you're sort of prompting along. But when you have somebody like. um Um, I'm trying to think of a good, a good talker there, you know, like there are certain actors, like Viola, give you Viola Davis. So Viola Davis is one of the, she's so wise, if that's the right word. Yeah. I'm working with her right now. Oh, are you really?
1: Yeah. She's a producer. We're both producers on a project right now. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. She's awesome. I felt
0: like I was almost like I was talking to a preacher and then (laughs) for for me, the the idea that it was an interview just totally melted away. We are just talking about life and, she came from destitute poverty and what it's like to be poor. And she's just so incredibly eloquent about it. When you have somebody like that, of course you want to know what their project's about and watch the show. But, but I just know, I just know having watched, seen her and interviewed her before that it's just going to be a beautiful conversation because she's her. Um, and then if you think about somebody like we had Al Pacino on the show about a year ago. Oh, that's we when you were driving
1: around. with him, right? Yeah, yeah we are driving around. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I know, okay, Al Pacino, He's not a huge talker, <laughs> doesn't do a lot of interviews. In yeah. Any. I was pleasantly surprised that he was like very happy to be there and share anything. You could ask him anything. But that was one where he's like, who is this guy now? And you, the first 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> yes. feel him out, feel him out, feel him out.
1: Right, right, right. Seeing if you're me. worthy of him to give you right, his good right.
0: stuff. Yeah. Right. How <laughs> fast does he go to Scarface or is he actually interested in my exactly. life? Exactly. So yeah, that, but then he was great. Yeah, what a pleasant surprise. But I think that was the case where he had to trust me for ten or fifteen minutes, and then he said he opened it up and we talked for an hour, and then we went out into a, I think it was a '74 Cadillac Eldorado with the top down, and we're driving around Beverly Hills, and everyone's is that Al Pacino honking and waving, and the phones are all out, and he was having the time of his life. Take a left up here, Willie. Yeah. Directing me all over Beverly Hills, he didn't want to run oh, yeah. into this like beautiful magical day. And yeah. you're at a stoplight, looking over. You're driving a car, which is normal, and then you look over, and Al Pacino is riding shotgun. Like, think you're trying.
1: the Uber driver, right?
0: No, Pacino rides shotgun with the exactly. Uber driver. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's so. Uh, were you intimidated at first at all? Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I, I, yeah. I would
0: say at this point, I generally don't get super. Nervous, but like I just had no experience with him and there's not even that much to watch where he's talking to someone else, you know, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. What could it to be like, yeah, he really doesn't a, do that much. It was know? a little bit of an unknown. Um, and I didn't know how he felt about doing it. Was this just another piece of press he had to do? Was he, you know, what was, but he could not, honestly, he could not have been better. And I, I just feel so lucky to have had that time with him. What a, that's awesome. What a gift, you know, to do yeah. what we to have a day like that is really a gift. Oh, it's awesome.
1: It looked hilarious, too. It looked like you guys were having so much fun. Yeah. He said no. somebody yelled at him. They
0: said, What do you do? What are you doing, Al? And he goes, We're making a new movie. It's called Willie and Al. <laughs> I don't know. I was living in a parallel universe for a moment there.
1: I got to see him. Uh, I think it's the last stage thing he did when he was in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross when he came uh. back to do that with uh, Bobby Cannavale. was in it, and Bobby Cannavale played the part that Al Pacino played in the movie, you know, and did it on stage. And Al Pacino played the Jack Lemon role, you know, on on stage. It was amazing to see him, and it was in preview, so he was still kind of working through it, which is kind of interesting. He wasn't there yet, so to see him in mid process was kind of like oh there's, you know, he's not, he's not really there yet. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. He's not
0: locked in yet. Yeah. He's, yeah. I yeah. guess when we sat down, he was about to turn 80. Wow. So he's 80 now. Um, And he said, uh, it was almost like I asked more artfully, but like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? And he's like, basically like, you know, I'm about to turn 80. I guess I'm at the point where I'm finally, ready to reflect on what I've done. And it was really like sweet. I said, well, how do you, you know, what do you chalk it up to? Uh, obviously beside your talent. And he said, he was talking about watching um a show called what was the um, 90 of a thousand stars he said he was like, he was on 90 of a thousand stars with De Niro. This is like in the seventies and there were all these old actors who were still there. And uh, he was talked, he was turned to a, Lee Strasberg who was his acting coach and, He said, you know, you know, Al, what I see, I see a stage full of survivors. They survived." And so Pacino said, I guess I'm a survivor. I guess I just made it work from job to job. And here I am, 80 years old. I survived. I did it. There's talent, but then there's also the navigation of the business and not making the bad movies and ruining your career. Yeah. The right thing. So it was just cool to have like Pacino reflecting on his life across from me. It's still nuts to even talk about it.
1: Is there any interview that stands out that really surprised you the most where it, it just was completely different than you thought it was going to be going in?
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, there's some some of the political ones are I, I, well, I interviewed Dwayne Johnson a couple of days ago. Oh, the Rock. <laughs> but it, it, it's fresh in my mind. So I guess the only surprise was so the interview was for his tequila, terramana, Of course. He, He's got his own line. Tequila, fastest selling spirit in the history of spirits. Of course, he's the rock. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. The rock. Um, but that So that's another case where it's like you were talking about the publicist. So you got 30 minutes. You want to talk about the uh, the tequila. And he's got this thing. We're on Cinco de Mayo. He's buying everybody free guacamole. You know, all the you can touch all these faces. And you got 30 minutes. So we were having a good time. Uh, we started, believe it or not, talking about 80s hip hop. So he's a huge fan. I grew up across the river from New York, a huge fan. And so we, so we sort of built this trust and this rapport. And then I was just like, Hey, by the way, while you're here, you're running for president. And he got the plug in first. He goes, you know, Willie, I need a sip of Taramana before I answer that question. Uh, (laughs) But then like we talked about whether he was going to run and whether it was a good idea for celebrity run. And so That was surprising in that sometimes you come to an interview with all these parameters put around it we try not to allow that we always talk about whatever we want but the focus was the tequila and then it turns to hip-hop and big daddy kane and eric b and rakim and then oh by the way now that we're just chatting tell me about running for president and he gave a real answer and we actually we put it on the today show the other day where he said you know, I would look at polling and if the people told me I'm not going to do some vanity project, but if there were enough people in the country that we want you to do this, I would consider doing it and I would do it. So it's just I think that to me is just building a rapport with somebody and maybe you build your own surprises if you if you have a good one. Yeah, because I would think
1: he would have said, I will not run. And I will not accept <laughs> my party's <laughs> nomination for president of the United States. I think good that's LB what J. I would have thought. Good. Good <laughs> good oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I pulled that one out. <laughs> do you have a, uh, were you influenced by anybody? Like, do you have a favorite interviewer? You know, someone that uh, you were like, wow, man, that's how you do it.
0: I feel like conversational is good. I, I used to go back more recently, actually, I looked at like Dick Cabot. the way. Oh, he- love Cabot.
1: Yeah, now, I'm like, a huge fan of Cabot, Yeah,
0: there's something about that that is what I try to capture in that casual. Like, if I could just have like a scotch and be smoking a cigarette while I talk to the guests with yeah carpeting and the old. I'm firm. not mad at that. Like all no. that, you know, because it is just it, the fly on the wall element of that. Oh, those two people are friends. And I get to listen to their conversation. It's so cool.
1: Yeah. Kevin made square, witty, intellectual, a cool thing. Exactly. Yes.
0: Because exactly. he wasn't
1: cool by conventional definitions. Right. But he was cool because he was smart. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's what I loved about him. Like, it's okay to be smart and have a wit and not overpower, you know, people. You, he would lay back and,
0: you know, he'd, yeah. he'd
1: get his little things in. You know? Yeah. And
0: I love, you know, I'm a fan of comedy, as you know, and. I think the way both Dave Letterman and your buddy, John Stewart could embed a sharp question inside something sort of charming. <laughs> Do you know if that makes sense? Of, I don't
1: like, know if that goes for Dave in his early days. <laughs> well, right. No, not early <laughs> Yeah, no. yeah. No, no. You would just go at it. Oh, just,
0: man. But to be able to be funny and smart, I guess, is what I mean at the same sure. time. And so on the one hand, you're, Make saying something funny and having a loose good time with them. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're asking like a pretty deep cut of a question. Yeah. That's a lucky place to be, I think. Cause either it's usually you're either the funny guy or you're the news guy and never never the twing shall meet. And they're the rare people who can pull that off.
1: It is interesting. You know, I love looking back at people too, like, you know, I was too young to remember Jack Parr, but I love looking back and seeing some of his interviews. Yeah. And uh and and it is interesting. There is a difference between the late night comedian, the Carsons and those people, they're interviewing styles and straight on interviewings, but like some of the Jack Park conversations were were so interesting. He was so good at that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, great. And and I think part of um, like this, like podcasting has brought some of that. I listened to tons of podcasts, including yours. And I think that style, I think I've actually been influenced by a little bit in my interviews where we don't have to be as stiff and this is a TV interview and I ask the question and you answer and then I move on. It can actually just be a conversation and then leave it to the editors to kind of make it work somehow, you know? And so I think I've been liberated in some ways by listening to great podcasts hosted by smart people who get, you know, if they have somebody on who I feel like I know everything and then you'll talk to them and I'm like, Oh, I didn't know anything about that person it turns out, or I learned, you know, all these new things about them. I think the sort of podcast style has definitely had an influence on me and loosening the conversations. And we go an hour, 45 minutes or an hour anyway for our interviews. So it really is sort of, I don't have to rush to the finish line of, oh, you have 10 minutes and you can only get these four questions in. I can I can let it breathe like a podcast, which is really nice. And
1: you get the best of both worlds because you also get to have it on your podcast.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, I will say yeah. we, it is a podcast. We call it the Sunday Sit Down Podcast, but we're cheating calling it a podcast because uh-huh. all we're doing is clipping off the TV interview at the top, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I right? The <laughs> introduction and a close. And we can post it up on. the He's Apple. cheating on
1: the podcast, you guys. <laughs> it's right here. Willie's. I, I telling think it I'm it.
0: shunned among real podcasts. He's not one of us. That's just a TV interview posted to the internet. Uh, but it, but it was nice. We did did that a few years ago, just because we would do these long interviews and we'd have to leave so much on the floor. If it came in an interview, you're leaving, you know, 45 minutes, nobody ever sees it. It's lost to the world. So I said, why don't we just throw it up as a podcast? So it's nice. And people people are in the habit now too, of they're looking for these conversations. So it's been, it's been a nice little bonus. Um, I'm
1: happy that you are still a morning Joe too, because you know shows like that it's nice to have the immediacy of what's going on in the news right now and I want to get your take on a few things. People have talked about this, you know why the country is so divided politically right now um and you've been you know at the forefront of covering stuff for so long now. What is your sense of that willie from from where you're at? I
0: think it's as bad as it's ever been it it is bad. isn't it? yeah, I don't think that's yeah. a big revelation that I'm imparting to you, but it's um. the place I go to now is how difficult it's going to be to stitch it back together. You know, when we've looked at each other as more than political adversaries, but enemies, you know, when the other side is not just wrong, the other side is evil. That's a hard thing to come back from. You know, if, if you, if you're saying, if you're a conservative and you're saying of progressives, like they don't love America They don't honor our flag. They don't love the troops. They don't love the cop. They're bad people. They don't want this to be a great country anymore. I don't know if I'm a progressive. That's not really a great way to start a conversation from a a conservative. And, you know, for all the ways we've looked at each other differently, frankly, since Donald Trump came onto the scene, was president of like, oh, that's a Trump guy or she's a Trump woman or they have the hat on okay they're in that camp i'm in this camp or i'm in the trump camp there like we've sort of i think psychologically divided ourselves so it's more than politics it's it's culture but it's also the soul of, of who we are which side were you on in some mm-hmm. way
1: do you think trump ways? um stirred more division or do you think he just exposed the division that was there
0: it's funny you ask that. So we had John Boehner on this morning on Morning Joe. He has this book <laughs> yeah. out, and I actually right. asked him that question because mm-hmm. he's talking. He's talking about it like he's look. I'm just up in the bleachers after I retire. This is crazy. These Republicans are nuts. And I Wasn't
1: he selling people. marijuana for a while? Or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what he's doing in the bleachers. He's hammering yeah. Merlot and selling weed. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> we know what you're doing in the
0: bleachers, John. Just calm down there. <laughs> He's ripping bombs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, but I asked almost exactly that question you just asked me, I said, isn't it a little bit revisionist for you? I mean, you were there when the Tea Party came in. Exactly. You were in the House, and he's talking about all these crazies that came up during the Obama years and people who question whether, you know, President Obama was Muslim or from Kenya. And did you, why didn't you push back harder on that? He got defensive. I did, I did, I did. There are just kind of too many of them. But the seeds of distrust in government, that they don't have your best interest in mind, that they can't tackle big problems, distrust in the media, distrust in almost every institution were planted well before Donald Trump was here. I think he rode in as the, frankly, just the most famous person who could glom onto all of that and ride it push it through the White House. And he, you know, there was some aspirational thing to him with the plane and the penthouse and all this. He's the the rich guy, even though we know he's not as rich as he said he was, that he was, this was a big, tough businessman who, who didn't care about how things used to be done in Washington, how they have been done forever. He's going to flip it. He's going to throw a middle finger to, you know, all the institutions and the conventions and the and politics of Washington and just make it all work because that's what he does. Well, that was a charade, it was a TV show. And so he um, he just exposed it because he's good at what he does, whether people like to admit it or not, which is branding and messaging. And he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing with President Obama's birth certificate. He was stirring the pot. He was getting people worked up in a racist way, exposing. Um, all that that terrible underbelly. And then on immigration, when he announced in 2015, he just took all the issues. He pressed every button he knew was out there. And people were rightly afraid to say publicly anymore and made it okay. You guys are right. I got your back. Let's go. So, yeah, to answer your question, it's a long-winded way of saying it was all there. He just took it up and ran with it.
1: Certainly some of the the worst aspects of it. But but there are certain divisions that if you give people the benefit of the doubt seem kind of permanent, you know, to me. You know, that are interesting and it seems like it may have changed our politics in some ways where I don't know if we can have true bipartisanship the way we used to. To me, it seems like winner tells you what's what's what now. You know, and you're either on board with that or not. But I feel like that's where politics is going now. So the idea is to get more of the winner's share so you don't have to worry about people that aren't on board, as opposed to make concessions and wheel and deal the way that it used to be. That's exactly right. And that's
0: the fear. I know progressives don't like Joe Manchin right now because he's not getting on board with everything. But basically what he's saying is what you just said, which is like, all right, if we want to use reconciliation, which means you just have to have 50 votes to get everything through, if you want to get rid of the filibuster, They'll get you what you want right now, but someday we're going to be out of power. Absolutely. McConnell's going to turn around and say, okay, here's the deal. All He's done it already. You, yeah. you guys did it. You can't complain when we do it. So it's this like politics of retribution, like whoever's in power wins, as you say. And, you know, it's the Senate Republicans in particular right now. They're not going to play ball. I mean, Biden's doing everything he can, whether you think it's just sort of superficial or not. He's inviting them in, wants to hear what they have to say about this infrastructure bill. Let's come on deal. He's not going to get a vote on it because it raises taxes. He'll get a vote through, but he's not going to get a single Republican vote on it, and it'll end up being just like the COVID deal. But they can't. The psychology of our politics right now is such that. Republicans don't want to give Joe Biden a win. They don't want to have been seen voting or supporting for Joe Biden because it might hurt them in 2022 when they run for reelection. election be used against them. I mean, they gave the other day they gave an award the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is led by Rick Scott, the Florida Senator. They gave Donald Trump a, a, an award for like man of the year, a silver bowl. On the same day, he was up at the speech in Mar-a-Lago, just trashing Mitch McConnell, saying he's going to run primaries against sitting Republicans in the Senate. They so fear him and what he might do to their own re-election chances. They so fear his voters that they, at this point, there's no turning back. They have to and will continue to bow down to Donald Trump.
1: Right. Do you think the do you think the pandemic has forever changed people's relationship to government in this country? Because remember when Andrew Yang was talking about universal basic income? Oh, he's a radical lefty. (laughs) And now everybody, when's the next check coming from (laughs) from the government? You know, and I think people may, their relationship may have changed during this year in a way, in a much faster way than it could have with just, you know, someone pushing this idea. Do you think that's true?
0: Yeah, I think that's such a smart observation. I think that's definitely true. When you look at the money that's already been spent, but then it's proposed to infrastructure.
1: And what Biden is proposing is that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that that would that even by Democrats, that would have been called insane a couple of years ago.
0: Insane. Insane. I mean, we're talking great society, new deal. These numbers that we're talking about are incredible and not just to build roads, but to give the country a makeover yes exactly going
1: to a spa yeah
0: (laughs) it's like chip and joanna hgtv but for the whole country it's like exactly roads and bridges and broadband and a green economy on electric cars and solar. america uh, do you want to fix it or flip it what do you want to do america come on (laughs) kind of where we are so yeah because you know to your point The support that we saw for the, well, first, let's take the COVID bill that did pass with votes. Support was like 75%, depending on the poll, 70 to 75% of the country supported that, including a majority of Republicans. So yes, I think... In cases like this of prices, people are happy to say, oh, all that stuff I said about government, you know, (laughs) being a monkey on our back. Right.
1: Ah, I forgot to I forgot to (laughs) mention I love monkeys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And $1,400 checks. I love all those things. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably right. And, you know, they'll get some version of infrastructure through. And these are like I said, this is big new deal level spending that's going to change the country. And and that's the curious thing when you look at Republicans who won't vote for it. a lot of their own voters want this stuff, you know, and they just can't be seen uh, raising a tax or supporting Joe Biden, who they've been told their voters have been told is evil and perhaps not fairly elected. Has has Biden surprised you at how he's running,
1: Has at how he's governing compared to how he ran? Because he ran like he was like, Honestly, Grandpa asleep in his chair who would wake up occasionally and remember there was a debate that night. I mean, that's how it seemed like. I mean, he it seemed like he accepted he was going to be in sixth place. Was like, all right, fine. Well, whatever. I'll stick around. And Clyburn comes and saves him pretty much in South Carolina. And now he's like this badass who's like (laughs) the superhero. He took off his cape, you know.
0: What's What's crazy is. Remember, the concern was he was too moderate from progressives. Yes, too that's what I mean, like, yes. He's not going to do any of the things we want. My God, we're coming up on like five and a half trillion dollars of spending that covers almost every pet project. Yeah, it, when you pretty have pretty Bernie good. Sanders going, wait, what did he fucking say? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me?
1: I mean, when Bernie is reacting like that, it's like, whoo, that seems like a lot, Joe. <laughs> it's
0: funny, you, do, you do keep your eye on certain progressives. Like, are they going to criticize They're all like, no, nah, we're nope. good. They're not saying anything, yeah. Yeah, no, that when they're surprised, you know, yes, for sure. We actually in New Hampshire last year, the, during the campaign in 2020, where he finished in fifth place by yes, June, and we had him on the <laughs> show the morning of the primary, and we were sitting in a restaurant in New Hampshire. I think I saw that, yeah. And it was like a political wake, honestly. It was like, you know, he's done Iowa, he had finished fourth he was about to finish fifth in new Hampshire. he was was gonna be distant second in nevada after that and they came in and he's joe he's always you know guns blazing and chatty and he was just quiet he's sad man you know it was awkward you know we were trying to make small talk and it just felt like i i honestly and joe said we talked about this when he left it was like i feel like we just seen him for the last time in politics right like that was it.
1: He didn't even have Joe Mentum, like the Joe Lieberman thing.
0: He didn't even have I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: didn't
0: say that. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just you know thought it was over. And then, as you say, when he got down to South Carolina, Jim Clyburn endorses him, and he's off to the races. It's amazing how fast those things change. But. You know, um, if there had been some other combination of primaries, Bernie Sanders might have been the nominee and Absolutely. Trump would have won re-election. It's just crazy when you game it out. But yeah, to, to answer your question, yes. I mean, I've been surprised at how aggressive he's been, but also mm-hmm. at how he has sort of given the progressive wing of the party what it wants, by and large. I mean, there, it's you're hard pressed to find much of a complaint from progressives other than Here's this thing he hasn't done yet that I want him to do, and he probably will down the road. So he's he's more progressive than most people expect, I think.
1: Do you do you think he'll run again? What's your Spidey sense tell you your your Geist Spidey sense?
0: I don't have any reason to believe at the moment that he wouldn't. Right, it's going pretty well, but you could see a scenario, and this is based on nothing but talk, by the way, from people behind the scenes. You could see a scenario where at 82 years old when the next election comes around, he says, I'm passing the baton to Vice President Harris and let her be the nominee. But I think a lot of it depends on how things go in the next couple of years, how his health is in the next couple of years, because, you know, you're not supposed to talk about age, but man, he's, he's going to be old. <laughs> he's going to be old second term, you know? And that's that's a real thing. It was real with Ronald Reagan and people talked about, it obviously, with Donald Trump too. So we'll see. I My experience with politicians is they don't give up power easily. And That's true. When Joe Biden has been doing this quite literally his entire adult life, he was elected yeah. in the Senate when he was 29. Um, I don't know, unless there was some mitigating factor where he said, I can't do the job or we might lose if I run again, which I don't think he would say that to himself, but it's possible. Then I, it's hard for me to see him giving up the reins of power. Do you
1: think Trump runs again?
0: This is the, this is the big question at the mm-hmm. moment. My gut, and I may come to regret saying this. So, thank you for erasing this. Absolutely,
1: yeah. It's all on tape, or whatever it is. It's all it's but- that he
0: wants to toy with it, uh-huh. and then not, and then not do it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think he wants to talk a lot about it, and maybe I'll run, maybe I wouldn't. Because there are these pathetic displays of Nikki Haley saying, "Well, I want to run, but I wouldn't run if he wants to run. It's his party and his show." So the, everyone is sort of waiting to see what he's going to do. I think truthfully, knowing him a little bit before he was president, and much less now, but I think he was genuinely shocked that he won in twenty sixteen. I, think, he I think so too. Unbranding exercise and he had a good time at the rallies and you know, he thought there was no cost to his words. He could say anything and then he'd walk away and go back to the hotels. Um, I don't know if he wants to do it again, you know, I don't know if he wants I mean, I know he likes the attention. There's no question about that, but I don't know if he actually enjoyed the job every day. So I'm gonna say no on what is this, April 13th, 2021, and reserve the right to completely flip-flop on it later.
1: I love that. I love that you just put that out there, you know. Here's here's my prediction since we're making predictions. Yeah, what do you think? I'm curious. This is here's my prediction. And this is will be the most interesting race that we're gonna see. I say Joe Biden steps aside. Because Biden has surprised us by many things. He he didn't run when he was mourning his kid. And I I think there's something about Joe, and maybe this will be a conversation with his wife, who says, you know, that's good. Especially if the country's in good shape, as we call it, he can leave on top. You know, Uh, Kamala Harris versus Nikki Haley. Come on. Who wins that? Who wins
0: that, Willie guys? By the way, totally within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Now that's a horse race. That's a great race. Yeah, that's a great race. And then Nikki Haley hugs Donald Trump close because she knows she needs. She didn't alienate him, but she
1: still rebuked him. She got to have it both ways, which is smart. She does. (laughs) She does. That's a smart political move that she did. Actually, you know. It was. She's on the record. Absolutely.
0: She can point to whichever one she needs. She knows what mom. she's doing. She absolutely.
1: Yeah. And you know, you know, Republicans would love nothing better than to say, we got the first woman oh, into that White House as president before the Democrats did. No and question. they could say she's a woman of color. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> I
0: know a lot of Republicans, by the like, way, we who are hoping for exactly what you said. The other yeah. guy who watches um, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida. No, no chance absolutely he's, no well, chance he, well he's the governor of florida he's exactly very, pop, very popular with republicans <laughs> right now who feel like he's like fighting back against the media and the national democrats who are pushing him around on COVID. but he'll be around but i think i think that that haley harris race oh yeah that's the race not, we want to see If not 24 28 yeah
1: 24 we want to see that in 24 for sure Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You're up the fight card. The <laughs> uh, <laughs> Willie, I really appreciate you being here. It's so good to see you and everything. Uh, so happy that your show's doing well and all that. You know, been a fan for so long. And like I said, I always thank you for having me on. Promote my little book. You know, on your show years ago. You know, you're so nice about that. It was so much fun to talk about that.
0: It's always a pleasure. You gotta come back and see us sometime soon. Hopefully it'll be at 30 Rock next time.
1: Yes, but uh before we leave, speaking of writers, I did want to ask, how's your dad doing?
0: Oh, thanks for asking. He's good. He's good. Yeah, he's um he is gonna well, he's 75 now. His birthday's coming up, he'll be 76. He's doing well. He's had as you know, he's had Parkinson's for 30 years. But he's actually he's doing well. He, he's really doing well. He and my mom live up in Connecticut and we get to see him all the time. He's good. Kids all the time. and uh-huh. so He's active and, and doing things. It's you know, it's he was on CBS Sunday morning for 31 years and for I think, 25 of them. He had Parkinson's. So oh, wow. when you think about what that was like for him. Wow. Today, yeah get up every week and get on a plane and fly somewhere and do the story and talk to a bunch of people, come home, write it, edit it, you know, to do that every week. That's a grind, you know, it's a grind for you or me and it's about if you had Parkinson's. So he, uh, I'm proud of him and you know, he's not a, he's a humble guy. So he didn't talk about that. He had to do that, but just watching him say, yep, you know, I've got, now I'm 20 years into Parkinson's, but I'm going to the Iowa state fair. Cause that's what I do for CBS Sunday morning and come back and file a great piece was it was inspiring to to see and so he's he's not working for cds anymore he's thinking about another book but he's doing well i appreciate you asking
1: great and are you still on the board with michael j fox his uh his, I am. his organization yeah that's a great organization yeah yeah, yeah, they're, yeah they're
0: incredible he was you know we interviewed michael he had a book out last fall yeah and, uh, had him on the sunday show and we did that one in person too that was one of our first in person yeah but in person.
1: I did one of those events, uh, with Letterman, actually, and I got a chance to talk to David. And that was the first time I saw him with his beard. And I was like, who's this hobo talking to me? Like, <laughs> next to me. And I go, oh my God, it's David
0: Letterman. <laughs> he, was,
1: he was like saying, hey, I like your show. I thought it was good. I'm like, thanks, hobo. And I'm like,
0: oh, wait, it's David Letterman. <laughs> You're looking around for security. <laughs> yes, exactly. And a dollar. Just leave me alone. Exactly. It's, uh, and really, it, it would have been my dream to have Letterman come up to me okay. and just, say something like that and here i am thinking thanks hobo <laughs> i remember when he debuted that remember that? i think it was like a paparazzi shot of him jogging and it was yeah, like, yeah yeah, oh, yeah who the hell is yeah. that? when we had him on a couple years ago we said first thing i said i said and this is dave i'm sure he had it queued up but i said what's yeah. the deal with the beard and that quickly goes what's the deal with the toupee pointed at my hair
1: very nice like, there's dave
0: right there there's dave. Go.
1: he's he's the fastest Yes. is <laughs> well thank you for all uh that you do and all that stuff willie geist you guys watch them sunday morning you can watch them almost every morning except saturday you got to take one day off you can overkill. see willie. <laughs> yes it's overkill
0: sunday today willie guys thanks a lot willie thanks larry great to see you my friend you too